0: Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service as we go forward. Let me take just a moment to read the silent meditation as you're making your way in. Let the Lord speak to your heart. O almighty God, from whom every good gift comes, you have poured out on us your Holy Spirit and with him endless grace. Deliver us, Father, from our sins as we draw near to you. Deliver us from the coldness of our hearts and the wanderings of our minds. Help us focus our thoughts and kindle our affections so we may worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What a blessing. Be seated and let me take just a moment to welcome you if you're here this morning with us and visiting. There is a guest card somewhere in the pew if you'd fill that out. At least we would have a record of your visit this morning, and if you would leave us an email address if you want, we'll be able to contact you and fill you in if you would like to know what's going on here, and we can send you our blast that goes out every week, keeping you up to date on what's happening. Uh, We also want you to be a part of the service, so please, if you don't have a bulletin, if you're here visiting, there are those in the foyer. Uh, We want you to to have that. We also want you to know, I've said before and I always forget, uh, we want to say thanks. We always thank our music team for helping and lead us, but we also have a whole tech team that's in the back and none of them want their horns tooted, but each and every week for the sound to work and for everything to come together and for all that happens, um, if you turn your mic on, then things work pretty good. But they've also done things around the building. So uh, you're able now, if you're in the nursery, if you're in the foyer, if you're downstairs helping... I want to say thanks because I didn't realize how nice it was during the funeral yesterday for everybody who was downstairs prepping and working were able to watch the entire service and listen and be a part downstairs. So some of the things we don't realize what's going on, but what a blessing it was to be able to serve when needed and still not miss the service. That's important to me and I'll tell you why. We have the opportunity now that if you leave the service with your child because you need to go to the nursery or you want to spend some time because you need to quiet your spouse down, let's put it that way, or you need to run downstairs to do something, when it comes time for the Lord's service, we still want you to be a part. A lot of people don't realize that the Lord's Supper is always connected to the preaching of the word, and so in some places... They just, wherever you are, we take it and go. But if you're able to hear the service and be a part of the fellowship, then you're also able to partake of the communion that brings us together. So if you are in the nursery, just know you're able to see, watch, and be a part. And we will bring you a cup when it comes time. Um, And if you're downstairs, please come up for the Lord's Supper. You can stay in the foyer or out there. At least we can serve you because we know you've been able to watch, see, and commune together here while we're apart. So So for some some of you, it may not matter, but for a pastor and a pastor's heart, it's wonderful that we can come and actually commune, not just around the Word, but around the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thanks to the tech team and all the work that's gone in. They're still working on other sound things as we go, but what a blessing that's been. I also want to announce, you'll see an announcement that was put in there about our school supplies. This is the weekend up and coming that our Outreach team Nick and his outreach team and the mission team and the youth are are reaching out to another neighborhood uh, a Community of events and they've already teamed up with Maria to do a bunch of school supplies And so you will see an announcement that says if you want to bring some school supplies It's not for distribution and things like that. What it really is is if there's something you want to bring Please bring it by Thursday because Nick is working with Maria and, and a lot of her uh, work and the people there and they're sponsoring and helping provide a lot. And they're working together that not only will they do this backyard Bible club, but they will have all kinds of school material to hand these kids in those neighborhoods. And so if you want to bring something, just bring it to the church by Thursday. And But there is no distribution or things like that because that will all happen as they do their teaching for the thing. So we appreciate those of you who want to. And uh, Nick will help if you have any questions after Thursday. But just getting it here, please correlate with Chrissy, getting it here, dropping it off so that we can have that. And then our Sunday school classes for the month, I know we've had everybody fill in. What a blessing to have all the classes still going and everything still happening. I appreciate everyone who's filled in to help us teach. I'll be having a Sunday school meeting here coming up shortly for all of the Sunday school teachers, especially those that are working with youth down We're trying to put together to make sure we have all the ages covered in the right areas and the materials and the things that we need. And so if you're interested in teaching at all, we still need to know if you'd like to be a sub or an assistant so that we can use you even through the year. We have teachers for the year, um, but we needed help through the summer and sometimes we need assistance along the way. So please pray about that as we continue going forward. And then lastly, let me just say this. I know there's others to read there, but we're coming up on the end of our nominations. And so if you have nominated somebody uh, for deacon or elder, there is the box in the foyer. You can fold that up and place it in there. Um, And even if you've served before um, and you're wanting to serve again, please let me clarify. Yes, the church still has to vote. But when you're serving as an ordained person in the church, when you rotate off, it's for the period of a year or more if necessary, and then you're able to come back on and serve. If you're not going to serve anymore for whatever reason, I wanna give you the book of church order that simply states if you are unable to serve or unwilling to serve anymore, then you need to let the session of the church know so that we can dissolve that relationship with you. Now, if you're not serving because you have aged out and you've retired and you wanna be recognized, we can recognize you as emeritus in your field. And then you have the chance to remain in good standing as an ordained person and help out however. But the ordination is not something that you just get ordained for a few years and then you're done. That is not how that works in the Presbyterian church. And so men, prayerfully consider, if you've been ordained, we're not saying you have to jump back on right now, but we're saying pray about where God wants you to serve uh, because we need leadership in order to go forward. And so we want those people, if you've been praying about somebody, nominate them. Uh, They may go through part of the training and decide they're not ready. Or some of them may not think they really want to do it. But gentlemen, I would tell you, go through the training first. The Lord may change your mind and you may have the gifts we need to go forward. So please pray. Obviously, as the Lord is sending us families and our church is growing, we have to trust that He's also growing us in leadership that can handle that. Um, Or we have to pray for other things. Uh, Because we obviously can't grow a church if we don't have the ability to lead it. And so those are very important decisions the session has to work with in the upcoming months. So please pray about that as well. Other than that, you'll see the prayer requests. I appreciate those of you who faithfully pray. You show up, you're here. Uh, We've been praying about in the future, maybe even doing a Sunday evening time where we can get together for Bible study and prayer as things mold together on the Sunday night ministries. Um, But we also want to say thanks to those of you who come early. I know Pastor Nick, when he's able, meets regularly on Sunday morning before service for prayer. And uh, we do know that the ministries here are only successful because they've been bathed in prayer. They've been put before the Lord, and he helps us to recognize his work and where it is that we can serve him. So thank you for faithfully doing that as we've worked through the summer. And then thank you for praying for our families. You'll see them listed there. I won't mention all of them. Uh, I thank you for faithfully lifting them up. Let's take a moment this morning. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us to the throne of grace. And then if you would join with me at the end in the Lord's prayer, if you need that, you'll see it printed in the red hymn book on the inside cover. Or if you would like to have a platelet of one of those to put in your Bible, please let us know. We can actually print those same platelets that actually go on the inside of your Bible. If you would like to have one, if you don't know where in Matthew, you can look it up. So Uh, there's all kinds of ways for you to have that. But let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are so grateful that you would call us, that you would provide us in a creation in a world that would allow us to have the time to rest, that we would have the time to focus, to be reminded of what you have done for us, to be reminded that there is one who controls it all, one who providentially cares for everything, that nothing happens Without not only being aware, but permitting and providing and making those things work according to your will. Lord, here this morning, do that in our hearts. Help us to realize, Father, that even with maybe sinful intentions, begrudgingly, or maybe even half-heartedly, we're here this morning because we're supposed to be. And yet, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would change us as we're here. That we would see the importance of fellowshipping together, encouraging one another. And helping the body through this world in which we live. That Lord we would not become a part of this world. Though we're in it. Lord we would not become of it to a point. That we cannot focus on your heavenly kingdom. Help us this morning see Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of everything you've provided for us. And in doing that we'll realize it's through him. That we too. The only avenue we have. To come to the throne of grace. Together and pray as you taught us. Saying As we continue to go forward, you'll see there in your bulletin, uh, we will be doing the Lord's Supper a little bit later this morning, and so we ask that you begin to prepare the heart
1: as well as we go forward. You may go ahead and be seated. Before we pray together. together, just want to remind everybody that tonight we will be having our missions presentation. Our mission team went to New Jersey, Atlantic City last month. It kind of seems like ancient history now, but we're going to be coming and sharing about our experience. I know that many of you prayed for us. Many of you showed interest. Many of you gave. Many of you uh, allowed members of our team to come and do yard work for you, and you contributed. So this is our chance to share with you all what God did in our lives. It's at 6 o'clock tonight. We'll be done at about 7, so we'll definitely be done before uh, sundown. So if you don't like to drive at night, we'll definitely be done Uh, before it gets dark but i encourage you all if you don't have plans tonight to come at six to hear from the mission team about what we did now let's pray together the corporate prayer of confession which is for you in the bulletin let's pray together dear father in heaven you are most holy and merciful to us we acknowledge and confess to you our sinful nature it is so easy for us to do evil We seldom ever seek to do good. Please forgive all our shortcomings and offenses before you. You alone know how often we sin. You know how often our sin is intentional. Father, we confess we have wandered from your ways. We have wasted the gifts you have given to us. We confess, Father, we have many times forgotten your love. We confess our need to be ashamed and sorry for all the times we are displeasing to you. Teach us to hate our errors, cleanse us from our secret faults, and forgive our sins for the sake of your dear Son. Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes from Second Chronicles 7, a familiar verse, but brings so much meaning to our lives and to our calling as a church family. So hear this promise. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Be encouraged that Jesus is your faithful Savior who forgives all your sin. Look to him, trust in him, and be at peace. Let's confess our faith together through the words of the larger catechism. I'll read the question and then let's respond together. Who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? The only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two entire distinct natures and one person forever how did christ being the son of god become man christ the son of god became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul being conceived by the power of the holy ghost in the womb of the virgin mary of her substance and born of her yet without sin what a mystery i know your heart is prepared And
0: I know that you want to know Jesus. And I know that you want to know the truth. And I know that's what the writer of Hebrews has been taking us to. Understanding that Christian maturity goes beyond the basics. Now I remember, I should tell you a story that maybe it's too personal, I don't know. But as we grow in life, we have to adapt to changes. And we look back, I remember when I... Married my wife and delivered her from every anxiety she would ever have. And I remember telling her we got married when she was young. I was teasing just the other day at a funeral. Several of us were joking because some were five years older than their spouse, some were nine years older, one was 13 years older. And one of them had learned that I was nine years older than my wife. And they said, Really? How did you meet? And I said, when I graduated high school, I went down to the third grade and picked out my future wife (laughs) so they would know what was going on, and obviously that's not true. My wife will be mad if I don't tell you that. But I remember when we got married, I used to tease her, and I said, man, beautiful at 18. I can't imagine what it's going to be like at 21. We'd get to 21, and I'd, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when you're 24. And we'd get to 24. Can't imagine what it's going to be like. And yet then there's these times you think to yourself, wow, just immaturity, I've never once honestly thought to myself, man, I wish we'd go back to when you were 18. Now, she may have thought that before. I've heard some always complain, man, I've put on so much. And ladies, I say this gently, but you're 55 and you'll say things like, man, I can't believe I've gained 10 pounds since I graduated high school. And I think to myself, I'm so thankful you have. Because it just wouldn't look right if we didn't mature. And yet it's the same thing in the Christian life. Sometimes when we get involved in the Christian life, we're this young adult and we're excited about things and I can't wait until I'm 25 years and I get to be elected a a deacon or an officer or I'm in the ladies' ministry or I'm running the men's group and we, we look forward to these things. The problem being, for so many of us, We're still trying to keep the way it was when we were 18. We're still hanging on to the times we thought were the best. And the writer of Hebrews in his sermon, which is all about this historical redemption of Jesus Christ, says to us, stop looking backward. I want to give you a bit of advice that some of you may not understand. I'm going to make it very clear. I'm 100% accurate Every time I've shared it, none of you will ever go back to being 18. Now, some of you may reach 18, Lord willing, but I've never seen anyone return to the infant stages of their life intentionally. So now, all of a sudden, the writer says to us, well, why is it so true in your relationship with Christ? Why is it that so many of us, when something happens, we want to go back to the beginning? If I could just have like it was when I first met Jesus Christ, if I could just have that excitement that used to be, like when I first came down, I remember when I came down, I remember when I accepted him, and how come it can't be like that anymore, and I'll tell you why. Because when you came to Christ and his Holy Spirit convicted you, you were an infant and you love the excitement that goes along with being in a large family and everybody serving you and taking care of you and loving you and letting you know how happy and excited they are that you're here. Now you've been here 25 years and the door opens and you think, why isn't it like that anymore? And I'll tell you why. Maybe you're the one that should be at the door opening it for the young ones coming in and saying to them, we're so glad to see you. We're so glad to have you. We're so glad you're here. You see, what happened to the maturity process? Not just in the doors of the church or in the practice of it, but in your daily life and in your daily living. Why is it that we want to hang on to the beginnings of what it was like? I agree, the excitement is wonderful. I couldn't handle my wife when she was 18 again. Man, I'm, I'm growing older. I'm nine years senior smarter, not senior. But But she reminds me daily through our actions, it's a good thing I was nine years older. It's a good thing that I had a jump on her in years because I realized maturity level, wow, what a difference. In what a way that it wasn't me trying to raise her, as my mom would say. I remember asking her specifically, mom, what do you think? She's a Christian. She was close to me. And I said, I don't know. I think I've fallen in love with this young girl. And It doesn't seem right. I've graduated seminary and I have a career and she's just getting out of high school. And I remember my mom saying to me on the biblical reasons that Jerry, the age has nothing to do with it. What matters is can you respect the age difference? Can you marry her and allow God to grow her and lead her in her life? Or are you marrying her so that you can grow her and lead her in your life? Oh, I've needed forgiveness so many a times. Men, I would probably say to you, you too probably should go back and say, forgive me for the times that I tried to grow you the way I wanted you to be instead of allowing God to lead you the way he wanted you to be. Maturity is tough. But sometimes it's the basics that remind us. Look here in chapter 6. He takes us immediately. Where are we on the level of maturity? Are we moving on to maturity? Or are we still hanging on to these things that we were told that we need to leave behind? He takes it a step further this morning. And rather than saying it's time to grow up, he said, let's move on. Let's do this. Let's accept the fact where we are. We're in a different stage of our life. We do things differently now. It doesn't mean they're any worse. It doesn't mean they're less important. But I would encourage you, wherever you are as an individual or as a couple or as a family, find where it is God has you at this time in your life to mature, to continue leading. Don't always look back the way it always was, the Sunday school teacher that has said it so many times. Pastor, don't tell me what you want me to change, I've been doing this for 60 years, I don't need your help. And Sometimes I want to say that's the problem, you've been doing it the same way for what? 60 years. We've never grown up to deal with the topics that we face today. Here's what the writer says in Hebrews. Let us, chapter 6, verse 1, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundations, and he lists these things. They go together. You need to understand that. Repentance. From this dead works and the faith toward God, that's one thing. The instruction about washings and the laying on of the hands, another. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, a third. And then he says this, and this we will do, what? What? If God permits, I'm going to take you on a journey in a moment through some of the textual criticism that you need to understand, because not every Bible writes it the way that it actually is in the Greek. And if you don't understand how a subjective can be used as an imperative when the mood is put into its case or the passive voice that is brought together to put it on ourselves, it kind of makes it sound like, well, what are you talking about? But what I like to tell you is it's very simply put. Therefore, let us leave the elementary principles. I'll give you three things. One, we're going to talk about the importance of understanding our covenant commission or communion, I should say. We're going to talk about the commitment Of this great covenant. And we're going to talk about the curse of this great covenant. So, if you're following along, this commitment, this communion, and this curse is all wrapped up in understanding why we must mature. So, write this down as we go along. Number one, listen to what he says. For this this time, he was telling us earlier, we ought to have become teachers. He said, let us leave the elementary doctrine. This is that subjunctive case. It's a mood. It's put in its imperative, used that way as a command. It's actually the word that says to be carried away or to be carried off. The Greek word is pharaoh. If you're looking it up and following it, it's the link together in the imperative of the pharaoh case. You'll have to find it. But it's there being said to this, let us... Move on. Let me give you how the Bible puts it this way. Work out your salvation in what? Fear and trembling. That makes it sound like your salvation is completely up to who? To you. But if you don't understand what that is, it's like, of course you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But you'll never work out your salvation with fear and trembling until the Holy Spirit what? convicts you and changes your heart and gives you the ability to do that that is the exact same thing that is being used here as this subjunctive imperative it should read this therefore let us be carried away from these elementary doctrines and who do you think is going to carry you away who do you think is going to carry you away Jesus Christ, look at verse 3. This is where we get the end of it. And this we will do if God what permits, if he does it. Folks, Christian maturity is this syncretistic idea that we have to do our part, but it's never superior or goes before when God has to do his part. We are going to go on to maturity. And we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we will do all that we can to grow in our relationship with Christ. And we will be carried away to the next level. Only if God permits. Wow. Our salvation is truly up to who? To God. Our growth is truly up to who? Oh, I like how... Paul writes it, some may water and some may plant, but only God can make it what? Grow. The The reason reason we want to be mature is because it's an indication of not what we're doing for God, but what God is doing in us. He's beginning to change you, to form you, and to fashion you into what he wants you to be. He can't leave you as an infant in the Christian faith. He saved you for a purpose, and he's put you on the Great Commission. You can't stay an infant when you have to go serve. So he says it this way. First of all, let's look at this covenant commitment. We must understand that we should be carried away from this understanding of not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Let's understand this of how it is that we're understanding repentance. We know that it means to be turned completely around and about face. We've heard those. You've heard me tell you a thousand times that the word repentance comes from the word metanoia, which means with the mind. So when you talk about true repentance and true change and true turning around, we're not talking about just the actions in your life. We're talking about a person whose mind has been completely changed, changed from thinking that they're in control to understanding that what? God is in control. That's true repentance. It's with the mind that we agree with God. We are sinners and we need salvation. We cannot make it on our own and we must make it through Him. We must come to Him and place our faith in Him but He must draw us in in order for us to do that. It's this balance of understanding the sovereignty of God and the free will of humankind. And the free will of humankind is never superior Or in front of the sovereignty of God. That's why we can actually say, Lord, increase my faith. For my growth comes from Him. My growth is when I fall on my knees. When I find myself prostrate before Him. And begging his disciples did when they couldn't cast out the demons and heal the sick and perform the miracles. And they would come back and at one point simply said to him, We're frustrated because we can't do these things. Would you please, Lord, increase our faith? You see, we can't lay again those doctrines. We've got to move on. If we're still wrestling with what repentance is, it's because we're caught up in the dead works. That's why it tells us these things when he begins to say we can't lay this foundation of repentance from dead works. We're not still living under the law of Moses. We're not still trying to accomplish the things of the law. We're not finding our righteousness based on what we've done. Those were the things in the Old Testament. You must understand the interpretation of a historical redemption mode. We're not laying down some of these things that are happening today today. The writer is taking us back to explain who our high priest is. And he's going to show us that these things that you're working through are dead to the old system. And have been brought to fruition in Jesus Christ, the new covenant. They point to the great high priest. Repentance is not penance. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is not bringing a sacrifice. Those are the old things. Repentance is a change of mind. That we learned later on in Hebrews chapter 9, that if the blood of bulls and goats could help us, how much more would the blood of who? Jesus Christ, who could actually cleanse our conscience. Do you see, we could actually move on from our sins. We could actually no longer be tied down to the choices we have made. Though I've shared with so many people, I've learned in 30 years of the ministry and dealing with people and even my own family. We don't deal with mistakes that have been made. We've dealt with bad choices that have been made. Because when we call things mistakes, we have to begin to ask, well, then who was in control when it happened? If something happened that wasn't supposed to happen, then how did that happen? If God is truly sovereign, then every decision... And every choice can be brought under his control. He doesn't have to capture them and go find them and figure out how to work them out. He knows them, prepares them, even before the foundations of the world. And he allows those because they're according to his will. So you're not making mistakes, you're making choices. And sometimes we don't see the fruition of those choices right away. But I would ask you to trust, don't lay again the foundation of repentance where all you have to do is just say you're sorry, move on, go on with life. No, change your mind, grow up. See what you did was not right, was not a good choice. You're headed in a wrong direction. Don't make another one. Don't make another one. When we turn to Him in faith, we begin to realize that when He says here, let's not lay again these dead works, we have to realize that so many of us have behavior that still comes from a polluted heart. You see, we think of sometimes repentance as being, I've been out of the church, I need to get back involved in the church. We see that as a return to maturity. I haven't been teaching, I need to start teaching. I haven't been a deacon, I need to be a deacon. I should be an elder by now and I haven't. I should be cleaning because I'm available. Folks, I say this gently, But when it's not coming from a pure heart and it's not coming from a cleansed conscience, you're still performing dead works because God knows your heart. And I would honestly say for some of us, if you're like me at all, you've done a lot of things because you're supposed to and thank the Lord you're being obedient. But remember, God judges us by the intentions of our heart. Maybe some of us even need to repent Of our church work. Because it's not coming. From that of a repentant heart and mind. Oh let's not lay again these foundations. Because we turn from sin. In repentance and to God in faith. We begin to trust in those things. We We know what the the word is. is. The ESV says it in Hebrews chapter 11. You can go back and read it. We begin to realize it's the assurance of the things hoped for, it's the conviction of things not seen. He's relating to this Old Testament understanding again that everybody looked to the foreshadowing of the coming of the fulfilling promise. Where's the substance, is what the King James says. What a way to write it. If you ever want to understand it in its fullness, the King James actually says it in a great way. It says in Hebrews 11.1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because what we hoped for was that there would be a sacrifice that would cleanse our conscience, that would take away our guilt, that we could live free, that we could grow in Christ, that we didn't have to do the mundane sacrifices over and over again. We wouldn't have to repeat the same things. Our guilt would be gone. We can grow up in Christ knowing that even the choices we make today that may not seem right are going to be worked out for our good to those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. Oh, it's the substance of things hoped for. The writer of the King James says, it's the evidence of the things not seen. let me tell you this, in the Old Testament, if we keep it in its context and understand the importance of this great commitment, they offered sacrifices in hopes for a Messiah they never saw. And they placed their faith in the substance of what they hoped for and would one day in the evidence of the things unseen. See, even when the, the writer, writer begins to tell, to tell us, later us later on the importance of understanding what it means it to, to mature. mature. Let's not just say that repentance and faith is saying no to this and saying, okay, I'll go to church. It goes beyond that. It takes, it takes us to, to this maturity of understanding, of understanding where, where we are with the sacrificial sacri- system. system. That's the, That's the second, second part. We, we move from, from a covenant, covenant commitment to a covenant, if you wish, communion. Listen to the next step. The instructions about washing and the laying on of hands. Folks, this is not baptism and ordination. I've read of many a many of people who have said that, and over the years we have realized we're not talking about New Testament functions. He's writing to this Old Testament historical redemption. This is not the word baptismos. For those of you who love to do your Greek and your reading, this is the male plural form of baptism. For those of you who love immersion in what's known as believer's baptism, this is a part that helps you in some of your arguments. We're not ashamed to say those things, but this is not the word baptisms. This is the word that is only used here and later on in Hebrews. And once in Mark, it is the masculine plural form of baptismos, called baptismois. It's always referred to ceremonial washings, plural. What he's trying to say to us is why would we lay again the foundation of us coming to church thinking that if we just washed our hands and dipped in the basin and provided a sacrifice, we could be whole again. Because what we're really doing is trusting in our works once again. Folks, I will tell you, going to church may not change your heart, but when he changes your heart, you should definitely want to go up to church. Church. You see, let's not get them backward. Let's not get the cart before the horse. It's the changed heart that matters. Salvation takes place outside the walls of this building. It takes place outside even my preaching. It takes place outside of your teaching. It takes place when the word of God, the seed that has been sown, becomes fertile and God brings it to fruition. And let's not go back to thinking that just the matter of washings or the number of baptisms or the times that we say we've been cleansed matter. That's why we have denominations, many of them, that every time you sin, you need to be rebaptized, because they're still interpreting as the washings that make the difference. If you were saved and you didn't live right and you were baptized and you didn't stick with it, well, then it didn't really make it. You need to be saved again and you need to be washed again. And later on when you make a mistake and it tears apart your Christian faith and you begin to waver and you fall back and you're ready to go forward, you come back to rededicate and get baptized again. Because we're laying again the foundations of washings, assuming that when we wash ourselves, we are now clean with God. It goes beyond that laying on of hands. Listen to this. How do we know it's the historical redemption? Because the priest would take the sacrifice. And lay his hands on the goat. One of the goats would come through, as you know, called the escape goat. We've shared the story many a times. The people in the courtyard and in the inner sanctuary could there take their hands and place them on the goat. And it would signify that the laying on of hands would take the guilt of the people, place it on the goat. And when the doors would be opened to the wilderness, headed to the east, it would run out into the wilderness... And the goat would escape with the guilt and pay the price and became known as the what? Yeah, we've used it so many times in our life. That's why when people commit crimes, they do them with more than one. Because you ought to always have someone to what? To blame and become the scapegoat. You see, we can blame the guilt, blame the actions, and put it on another, and let them pay the price for what we have done. And then the other goat would be taken by the priest, sliced, laid open, blood dripped on the hood of the covenant, the ark. And he would be there that he would take his body and he would lay his hands, signifying that all the sins of the people that he represents by the tribes of Israel upon his vestibule. He could take and lay those sins on this sacrifice and then kill it. And as the blood would run down from the Ark of the Covenant, and those winged creatures of the seraphim and cherubim would be the intermediary of understanding that now when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see the broken commandments and the disobedience of the wilderness of his people, he sees the blood shed. Of the lamb and considers them clean. So today, are we just offering another sacrifice, the laying on of our hands, giving our efforts to church, finding our cleansing in something else, or have we matured enough to know that the substance of what they were talking about was not in the lamb? The evidence of that which was unseen has already come to fruition. That this great covenant of communion allows us to say it's not about the baptism. It's not about the laying on of hands and the ordinations, It's not about a foundation of repentance of just dead works. We've got to understand that it goes even from there to this covenant curse. Listen, it's this understanding of resurrection and eternal judgment. Let's quit arguing over whether or not it's going to happen. We could jump to the New Testament. That's not what it is. We understand the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you don't, I can tell you. Because when it came to the resurrection and the Sadducees didn't believe that one would happen, they were considered sad. You see? They didn't believe in it. It's an easy way to remember it. Of course, you also had the Pharisees. And when you looked at the other side, they did believe in a resurrection. But they believed it had to happen the way they wanted to have it, and the way their works would accomplish it. And if you didn't do it their, work, their way, you wouldn't reach it. And so they weren't very fair, you see. And so you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees of the new. But that's not what we are. See, it's carried on from the old. That everybody has their own understanding. That is it going to happen? Is there really a judgment? Are we really going before God? There are several passages of Scripture we must understand. Let's not lay again whether or not we can argue whether or not there's a resurrection. Let me take you to John chapter 5 real quick. If you want to follow along, I will read right out of the writings of John in chapter 5. It's the gospel writer when he begins to tell us about death. Let's not be surprised about dying. I think every one of us in this room understands that you were not born with the intentions that you would not what? Die. Save the Lord come first. But here's what it says in John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of of judgment. Folks, what he wants us to say is let's not try to talk about how we escape this because folks, we will all go before the judgment seat of Christ. It may not be for the judgment in which we would call punishment, but every knee shall bow and every tongue confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's begin to mature and realize that this is really going to happen. Folks, you can tell your 13-year-old, you better start learning because one day you're going to be out on your own and you're going to need to make it. You could tell them when they're 14, I'm telling you, the time's coming. You better start getting prepared because I don't think you're going to be able to handle this. And when they're 15, what'd you do? You better start taking care of this car because if you're going to want to drive one, there's a lot of bills coming with it. At 16, well, you're on your own now. I'm telling you, you're going to struggle. You're not... Folks, when does the reality hit that the day is coming? You will be on your own. You're going to have to make it. You're going to have to be mature. You're going to have to make wise decisions. You're going to have to be able to protect yourself, lead yourself, guard over things and provide for you. You have to grow up. As a Christian, let me say to you this morning, please grow up. We will face the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not lay again a foundation any different or any more basic. You must repent. You must place your faith in Christ. It's not about the baptisms and the washings. It's about being under the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not about who's got the right understanding and just what time it's going to happen. We know he's coming back. And every knee. Will bow. And every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ. Is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father as we prepare our hearts. Make us ready to receive. Help us to understand. What we've committed to. In this covenant. Help us understand. That that commitment comes only because you are king. because you you give give us the ability ability, that we need you. It's about about our relationship relationship with you, not not what what we accomplish, accomplish, not what we've done. Lord, help help us to grow up and realize that whatever we can do to help lead others to understand what we know is right, help us to do that. Help us to be patient. Help us to be kind. But Help us to be truthful. Help us not go back and lay again the dead works, the laying on of hands, and the wrestlings over judgment. Help us to look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you if our servers will come and help me and assist me. I'm going to be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to follow along on the Lord's Supper. As we prepare the Lord's Supper to hand it out, let me fence the table as we call it and remind you that we are not handing this out so that you can be saved. Let's not go back to the foundations in which we found our salvation in the works we did. We're handing out the Lord's Supper because we are saved. Because we have made a decision. We have responded to the truth. If you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I would ask that you not take of the Lord's Supper. I would ask because as I read it later, you will see that you're just eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Not because you did something that God's going to judge, but because you might falsely believe that by taking the Lord's Supper, you're saved and right with God, and you're not. The only way to be right with God is to simply say, Lord, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I can only be saved by your grace. Give me the faith to place it in your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I agree with you. You're right. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. And so submit to him. and Take. Salvation is between you and God. But he always wants to make a public profession. Please, if you've made a decision to follow Christ, let us know. Let us celebrate it. Let us invite you to come to the table so that you too can be a part of this great communion. So as they begin to hand this out this morning, I ask that you take one and hold it as they pass it out as I read some things together. Please take one and hold it so we can take and participate together. It was important, even as John began to tell us that we will face the judgment seat of Christ, that each and every one of us are going to go before Jesus Christ. If we're his, we will be raised from the dead and rewarded. If we're not, we will be raised and judged. Now when it comes to that judgment, there are other passages of scripture that we could read throughout the scriptures, but I'm going to allow you to just listen to the importance of what Paul writes about those of us who take the Lord's Supper. Please listen. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you do come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God, humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let me paraphrase. Some of us need to repent of just how we treat each other in the church. It's not just that we come to church that shows maturity. It's how we work with those in the church that shows maturity. It's how we forgive others in the church that shows maturity. It's how we help lead others in the church to be mature. Oh, he makes it clear that I cannot commend you if you're just coming to church. I want to know your heart, why you come to church. For he says, as we begin to break the bread together after we pray, the importance of what he taught the disciples when they too gathered around the table. And realized in a nutshell, he said the same thing. You guys are going to need to grow up. Because he said it this way. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, forgive us. We repent. Help us to turn from our sin, to turn toward you in faith, and to follow you the rest of our days. Jesus name i pray amen this is my body broken for you as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me let's eat in the same way as they did the bread would you please as they pass the tray take one and then hold it until we can take and eat together again while they're passing that out the writer of hebrews takes us on the same journey about the blood of christ when he reminds us that if the blood of the bull and the goats, if the laying on of hands of an earthly priest c- could provide forgiveness until you sinned again, how much more we want a high priest who can cleanse our conscience forever, who can cleanse us from even the sins we've yet committed. Because when Jesus Christ became the Lamb. And he was sacrificed on the cross. We are told that our sins were forgiven. The sins of the past. The sins of the present. And what's so unbelievable. Is that he is such a high priest. That even the sins of the future. Are covered under his blood. Not our works. For you have been saved by grace through faith. And this not of works so that no man can boast. Again, I ask you, show us what's in your heart. That's what God looks at. For in the same way that Jesus gave them the bread, he also said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, Ezekiel 36, is the new covenant. We've superseded that of the days of Moses. Okay? That is the days of Abraham. That is the Davidic covenant. We are now in a new covenant where God writes on our hearts where we no longer need everybody to teach us. Well, he will teach us. His Holy Spirit indwells us. He takes the heart of stone and turns it into flesh and then promises that he will be our God and we will be his people. All because the blood of Christ and because of our high priest in the presence of the Father, not because of our works, the laying on of the hands of an earthly priest. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone will come from the grave and everyone will go before Christ and there will be those that will be guilty concerning his body and his blood. For as often as we do this We did it in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in him. And now through him, as our high priest, we have access to mature, to grow up, and to become disciples and leaders of the commission. Again, forgive us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The new covenant my blood shed for you, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. That's true. At this time, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to ask the ushers to take the offering, and this morning as they take, if you would, just take a moment and reflect as the deputy girls come and lead us in a special. Heavenly Father, we're only given back a portion of what you've blessed us with. We thank you for being so gracious to this body. Help us to be mindful, Lord, of the so many churches who have struggled through the pandemic, who have had to say goodbye to their pastors, who've had to say goodbye to their buildings, who have had to let their sheep go. And yet, Lord, you have found favor to bestow grace upon us. We don't deserve it, and we haven't earned it, but we are so thankful for it. Take our offerings. Use it to continue building your kingdom here and to help us further it here on earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's day.